This is a lockdown booty call. A lockdown booty call. Hello and welcome to Lockdown Booty Calls Episode 6. My name is Robin Boot and today I'm speaking with Libby Brody. Libby is an old friend of mine from university and she's turned into a very talented theatre producer, setting up Libby Brody Productions in 2016. We discussed how she got into theatre production, the obstacles she's had to overcome and the many highs and lows she's experienced along the way. We spoke about her time at the Old Vic Theatre and also about what the future holds for theatre as a whole post-lockdown. We also chatted about wine and self-confidence, two things which are very often linked. If you enjoy this podcast, please do go back and check out some of the other ones I've recorded. Maybe even subscribe or share it with somebody else who might like it. This is episode six of Lockdown Booty Calls with Libby Brody. Libby, welcome to Lockdown Booty Calls. It is a true pleasure to see you. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, thank you. Yeah, not too, not too shabby. The sun is out. That always makes things better. It does make things a lot better and probably not the best time to be stuck in a room um, recording a podcast, in fact. So uh, no, we'll, we'll, that's we'll all, crack on with this. <laughs> that's all fine, actually. Yeah, carry on. So where are you at the moment? Describe your lockdown surroundings, your little creative space. Well, I'm, right now I'm in the loft, which is where I, where I work. Um, I'm very jealous, though, because in your background, you've got things that make it look all professional and stuff. You've got like the plant. A plant always speaks to me of, of someone who's a bit successful. Um, I've got nothing because we're relatively new in this in this house. But yeah, I'm at I'm at home, Balham in London. Uh, we've been locked down as a as a family group, but pretty lucky. It's a nice space. We've got a bit of a garden, which is not always so in London. And uh, yeah, just as a little a little secret, don't tell anybody else that plant is actually just hiding all of my spirits and and wine behind there. So, uh, <laughs> So in, in that sense, it probably does make it look more professional, but uh, it may be uh, hiding through me. Very yes. cunning. And so um, new place in Balham, is this a permanent home office for you? Or is this just yeah. a loft which has been used during during the lockdown? Um, well, generally, I mean, it was, yeah, I think it's going to be an office for me and for Matt. I mean, I tend to work from home uh, or the Groucho Club. Uh, and obviously the Groucho is currently your, closed. Your, so. your sec- second home. So if your My second, second home, home is- <laughs> the Groucho. I miss it. <laughs> I, I'd like to just talk about you for a little bit, about how you got into into theatre, into theatre production more specifically. You are the first yeah. representative of theatre that we've we've had <gasps> on the world, well, say we, the Royal We, that I've Gosh. had on the podcast. And today well, you are the, the, the founder, the... The head honcho or honchita, is that a word? Head honchita at Libby Brody uh, Productions. We can make it a word, um, yeah. You, you set that up in 2016. Uh, when I first met you, I think it was doing shots of Sambuca in a fine establishment called Lizard Lounge in Bristol as students in the early 2000s. I won't do the math yeah. to work out how old we are. but Five we, years you, you were probably about You were probably about 11 or 12, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are correct. yeah but, I started young. So how did you go... So how did you go from that to where you are today? So basically, um, despite my father wanting to be going to law, uh, I come from a very theatrical family. Both my parents met at drama school um, and I was I love theatre. So I wanted to apply to something there. But I knew that I didn't want to be on stage because I have horrible stage fright um, and would regularly vomit in the wings and freeze up. And it was just disastrous. So, um, yeah, really bad stage fright. Not made to be on, on stage. Um, so then I applied at the, to the Prince of Wales Theatre, which had Mamma Mia on, to be an admin assistant. And there was obviously some sort of a cock up, very fortunate for me, cock up um, on the applications because I applied to be the admin assistant. And then when I turned up for the job that I'd been given, uh, I had I was ready to pass the open plan into an office to share with the general manager. And um, and I was asked to do all these things. I had absolutely no idea. And I think when you're younger, you have a, a fear of saying you don't know how to do stuff I have no such fear now I'm very happy to admit when I cannot do stuff and delegate but I think when you're younger you feel like you have to not say that so I would go to meetings nod like yeah yeah mm -hmm, yeah yeah and then I would google the words that they had asked me things to do and I'd sit there googling this stuff it was oh my gosh I, I mean looking back on stuff I did it's really quite embarrassing and then um 
Billy Differ, who's uh, very high up in Cameron Macintosh, who owns the theatre, was coming around and the general manager introduced me and said, this is Libby Brody, our new theatre administrator. Um, and that's senior management. <laughs> there was a reason. I mean, I had not gone for the role of theatre administrator. I'd gone for an admin assistant role. Um, and I went, Ugh! and then Billy looked at me and obviously I'm sort of early 20s and he went, where in the West End have you worked before? And I said, never in the West End. And he went, ah, regional theatre and just moved on. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, I think my job prior to that was a Corona girl where I danced in a cat suit selling beer. So it really wasn't, yeah, I didn't have a lot of of experience. There Um, does seem to be a uh, recurring theme throughout these podcasts that I'm recording with all the creatives I was speaking to is, just try and blag it as much as possible. Say oh, yeah. yes to everything, work out the logistics afterwards and actually yeah. call on, you, you say you didn't want to appear on stage, but I think the acting background in your family came in very handy. Just say, oh yes, I'm more than qualified for this position. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't mm-hmm. know why you even question it. So uh, I mean, I think, yeah. I think you should try and do it without outright lying. Um, I mean, I did say never the West End and it was assumption therefore the regional, but, but uh, I, I do think there is a lot. I think that my entire career has come from saying yes to stuff before I've really, in fact, maybe my whole life is down to saying yes to stuff without thinking it through um, and just making it work. Um, because actually then, I mean, that I was there, I think I survived there for a year and then I went traveling and then uh, I went back to that role, were you? Look, guys, I know how to do this now. <laughs> big, I mean, I'm really—I'm surprised that theatre didn't go under, to be honest. But, um, it, but I anyway. So, quit that. Went travelling. Tried various other things like theatre events and tried directing. That was a disaster. I can't direct. Um, I don't have the eye for it. But it's very useful. I feel in in theatre, probably in in actually probably in every industry, to try a number of different roles because then at least you could kind of understand the skills because, uh, and the work involved. And so also now, to maybe rule them out. Or and rule them out. Just say, this sucks. I mean, really small stuff that should have been obvious. That would have been obvious as an audience member. I just didn't get when trying to make it happen. Um, so tell, tell me about, I, did, I had no idea that you actually did that and directed yes, something. This maybe something you don't brag about. But, uh, not, not on a what, lot of stuff. What did no. I, like, can you mention the production? Has it ever yeah, been it was, um, done before? It was, Again? <laughs> Never again. It was um, at the Hen and Chickens Theatre, so like a little black box theatre above a pub, which I hired. And it was a very short play. Another girl who actually is now a successful director and myself decided to take a short play each and do one act and then one act. And uh, my actors, there was nothing wrong with them. I just didn't have the eye. And I remember um, a director who, oh, was it director or was it stage manager? Anyway, someone that I worked with uh, much later on came to see it and gave me this amazing tip and what and it's so stupid when you think about it I had two actors on stage and when the lights went up I had them start to act and someone pointed out to me and it's such a small change that when the lights go on you should be coming into a scene so I should have had them moving as the lights came on or but instead I had them like dead puppets and then the lights come on and we're talking props and it was it was it was just so awkward and bad. And I it sounds a little bit like Acorn Antiques. I thought, <laughs> oh, what was it when you just, and just everyone's just waiting, and then all of a sudden, action. Oh yes, would yeah. you like a cup of tea? And just uh... <laughs> it wasn't far off that. But then, of course, I worked on the Mouse Trap, and I saw that seventeen times, and that's pretty similar. And that's the longest running show in the world. So you know, maybe I was actually onto something. I was just a bit, you know, other people didn't get it. Um, But yeah, so I failed at that terribly and thought that's not for me. And then I went to the Old Vic, which was amazing. Anyone who's worked at the Old Vic Theatre, it goes under your skin, into your heart. The people there, the atmosphere, phenomenal. Um, And I went there as I was a script reader for Old Vic Productions. Um, And then I got offered, um, I went for the internship, got an internship, which isn't really done anymore because uh, you have to pay people um and did that for three months at the end of the three oh, months. rules and regulations I know. trying to pay performers and, and workers I'm kind of like I'm on I'm in two minds about it because the the internship gave me more than I would ever have had normally contacts wise confidence wise but so I think it's a great opportunity it's only three months you know it's not for life but I do think that that does make I mean any anything where you have to work for free 
means there's a certain amount of privilege uh, in your being able to do that. So that was the issue. Uh, so I love the internship. I don't want to slag off the internship because it was amazing. Um, and at the end of it, they made a role for me, uh, which was a surprise, but just so lovely um, in the development department. And so I worked with members uh, trying to make people, essentially a large part of producing, uh, trying to make people give us money, um, having lovely parties and saying, don't you want to support, support this amazing theatre and our incredible art and just sort of schmoozing and schmoozing with a glass of champagne in hand. And uh, it turned out I can do that. So- I was going to say that sounds like all, <laughs> all the work you put in at university when I met you sounds like it has really yeah. paid off. And yeah, but there was less chug, 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 less of that. More like, darling, would you like to write a check for 10 grand right now? Um, 10 grand is quite small actually there, but anyway. It's check, 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 not chug, 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 is it? Yes, check, 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 brilliant mantra. So yeah, so I did that and it was it was just wonderful. Great, great people to work with. Um, and then I was at a party, I think it was, and I met this director uh and I think I think she must have thought that I was a producer or at least in the production department of the old fic because she said I've got this play um it's starring Dame Janet Sisman actually she wasn't a Dame then she was made Dame after the play but um I've got this play um through your influence is that yeah yeah, we really yeah decades and decades of a career but really it was dream of the dog giving a platform to these unknown actors and actresses Actually, when she was You're made, a a, saint. <laughs> um, when she was made a dame uh, by the by the queen, it was mentioned as one of her latest pieces of work, which you know is obviously key. Um, so she had this play at the Finborough Theatre, another lovely venue to sort of learn producing at. I would say because that's what I had to do. Uh, anyway, so she was like, "Would you like to produce it?" And I said yes, even though I had absolutely no idea what a producer did, and no idea how to do it. I mean, I really had no no concept of what it was and then I which I think actually a lot of people in theatre don't you know you you know the actors because you see the actors and you know the directors you know what they do and there's a sort of idea of lighting and sound and set and costume but producers because it's not a public facing role um anyone outside the industry regularly have absolutely no idea what the hell I do um people in the industry also sometimes have no idea I was gonna say it's not just uh not just people (laughs) outside the industry so how in a in a nutshell what is the role of a producer in a nutshell we're the business part of showbiz so we would commission or get the rights for or pick a play or you know you can ask someone to write a play from a book or a film you like or whatever it is you pick the play you then employ everyone so you employ the directors, the designers, that's lighting, sound, set, costume. You've got sort of, you've got, you've got casting directors. There's a lot of people. Um, and then a production manager. Production managers are key. They can make or break your life. Um, and they sort of cover all the, the, the technical side and the crews and make sure things happen on time and in budget. Good ones are amazing. Um, and stage management, all of that. And then you, you raise the money. Uh, generally from investors, uh, angels, or trusts and grants, or a combination of that. Um, then you, you, so you issue all the contracts, you deal with the agents, you, you get all the contracts out. Then you probably you also negotiate with a venue or a space where you want to put it on, and you do all those contracts and stuff and make sure that happens. And then you run the press and the marketing teams, or you run them, you, you liaise and manage them, that they're marketing and put, promoting your show as you would like, um, hopefully. and then. Yeah, so basically it's choosing a show, making it happen and trying to ensure that people come and see it. And then when the show's running, you'll be a general manager, as I'm a general manager as well, um, I prefer the producing side of it. And you'll be making sure that the show is being seen and it's all ticking over. And that's that's my job. So despite nobody really knowing what a producer is, a producer is someone who is completely integral and crucial to a theatre yeah. <laughs> producer, then you'd have no chance there would be no theater basically i have a lot of creative basically i see a producer's role as you're the realistic facilitator of other people's creativity it helps if you're a bit creative too and you like what you're doing but it's it's sort of taking you'll have meetings where directors and designers go i love it i want to have like a wall of fire at this point and you go "Mm, yeah yeah that's that's that would look beautiful except that's going to cost thousands and we actually only have you know and and so you 
you have to sort of say, how can you make it work with this budget? Which does I went, went to Poundland and got a, a packet of twenty cigarette lighters. If we can have <laughs> yeah. all the stage hands, to... <laughs> seriously, it's like you want a laser. Some, can we have a candle? It's ready. <laughs> it's sort of it is. It is very much that you you end up being a bit of an eeyore in the group because every meeting you go to, you're like, can't afford that can't afford that can't do that but you've got to try and think outside the box and hopefully you've put together a team of people who can think outside the box and make things work this is not a role this none of it is a role for someone who has to follow rules exactly you have to find ways to make things work so you have people around you who are thinking outside the box and you decide what then fits in the box before yeah basically you're like you're like the end end decider you're the end point um which is brilliant because the buck stops with you if you like making decisions and being in control which i probably do um it's great but it also means the buck stops with you so if something goes wrong if there's something you have to deal with if your investors lose all their money um which is obviously very realistic in theater you're the one that has to explain that um and i think it's quite easy to be the the person who gets blamed because people have this idea that you're sitting on a big pile of money not giving it and actually you're just trying to make it work for every different department which you're sort of overseeing yeah and presumably there's there are different aspects obviously the build-up and making sure that everything is planned and all the things that could go wrong you've thought about in advance so that they don't but i've i've seen you in action during performances the george orwell um, oh, yes. fantastic whole day event two years ago was that now i think yeah uh, but just seeing how everybody yeah people were almost baying for blood behind uh, behind the scenes saying where's Libby this hasn't happened where's so-and-so Jon Snow's running overtime oh he's or someone's yeah who's yeah. next but he was great so it was fine <laughs> yeah no there is a lot of that it's sort of yeah you have to be really on it I mean that's quite an unusual uh, one because that was a one-day event uh, which had been obviously months in the planning and then you've tried to got it you're trying to make it go to time go smoothly and it was it was mental uh, but again had a wonderful team of people so that that makes it easier which helps so yeah. we've gone off on a slight tangent but i sorry tangent, yeah but I feel, I feel slightly wiser now that's all my doing is as per usual so you're a very wise man theater production old vic um where did you yeah. go from there so i had said yes to doing this producing which I did on my own time. So that was probably one of the most hectic, but most happy, happiest times of my life. I would be all day at the Old Vic and then I would run out at the lunchtime to go to look at rehearsals or auditions or marketing meetings, whatever we were doing. Then I would finish the day at the Old Vic, go straight to the theatre or wherever we were rehearsing um, and work. And then after that, be sitting with the director who is still one of my very best friends now because, you know, trial by fire. Um, and we'd sit up until probably one, two in the morning. There were quite a few, you know, drinks as well, uh, going through all the notes of the day and next plans and things like that. And then I'd be up again the next morning going to the old Vic. I mean, it was, it was insane. I dropped like a stone. It was fantastic for my figure, <laughs> um, except that the actual, the production manager at the, the Finbred took me aside and said he was worried about me because I was basically looking like a lollipop. But it's because I was just running about and not really eating, just sort of surviving off gin and tonics. I was going to say liquid diet. Yeah, <laughs> worst diets out there, darling. Um, but yeah, so it was it was fantastic. And then that show ended up getting five stars. And um, I think it was the Telegraph or the Independent said it was produced with care and flair. And I got contacted by ATG, which was at that time, and potentially serves, but at that time, the, the largest global theatre owner. And they asked if I'd like to transfer it to the West End in the Trafalgar Studios. And I was 26, and this was my first thing I ever produced. So I think maybe I was going... This is all right. Um, this is easy. So, Why is everyone making a fuss? This is so easy. <laughs> so easy. It just happens like that. Um, I do remember Steve Winter, who was a great uh, mentor at the Old Vic, was like, this doesn't normally happen, just so you know, on your first try. Um, and we sold out the Finbras, but we didn't have enough money to transfer and we had to do it immediately. So uh, we wrote to various people. Like Alan Carr gave us five grand, 10 grand. Like we just wrote to people saying, can you help us? I mean, with all of that sort of, all of that completely ridiculous self-confidence of youth where you haven't yet any, had anyone smack you in the face and say no. And you sort of go, <laughs> apart from anyone who came to see me direct. Um, and you, um, and then I wrote to Adam Kenwright, who ran at that point, um, AKA, which was this huge, it's huge, it is a huge marketing agency in London. And looking at it now, I mean, now I probably wouldn't have... Now I'd probably do it the right way. You know, you'd, you'd get a contact that was a PA and then you'd say, I'd like to set up a meeting. with. But I didn't. I just got his email and said, I'm doing this show and they want to transfer it to the West End. And do you want to help me with that? 
and I <laughs> came in for a meeting with him, which is incredible that he actually took the time out. Like he runs a huge a company, New York based as well. And I had this meeting with him. I do think there is a lot to be said for the confidence of youth because you get a lot more done, I swear. And, uh, and so is that, stupidity is that, and confidence. That's your confidence, or is it naivety? So naivety so, yeah. masquerading as confidence. Yeah, I think it's it like, yeah, I'm gonna. It, 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 did, it did for me, and I. So I went to this meeting, and he sat down and said, "Look, when I was going to have this meeting. I was going to tell you no, but now, like I've met you, I've seen these. They had, they collected all the clippings. He's like, I'm gonna. So they did the. They gave us money, and they did our marketing for free. Um, so that was brilliant. And then after that, he actually, yeah, another guardian angel of my career because. Uh, when that show did quite well, I was contacted by Ros Povey, who worked for Adam Spiegel Productions. They were looking for an assistant general manager, another role I knew nothing about. Um, <laughs> general management, never done that before. Um, and How hard can it be? <laughs> hey, I mean, I got a West End show my first time. Um, so I, I said yes. Uh, well, basically, I went for a coffee with her and then I went for an interview with her and Adam at the Groucho. First time at the Groucho. And... Um, yeah, and during and I was sort of talking about the success of Dream of the Dog, which was fantastic, um, and it was its its, its uh, European premiere because we'd come over from South Africa, and I was talking about that and said how I'd got it to the West End and said that Adam Kenwright had given us some money and done the marketing for free, and Adam, my then to be boss Spiegel, said, "Well, you know, actually, I know Adam Kenwright. He's one of my best friends, and he doesn't really give money to shows." So I'm just going to call him right now. And he called him in the interview. And I remember thinking, I haven't made that up. I haven't made that up, have I? I'm really sure he did. Um, and uh, Adam was very nice about me um, and said they should give me a job. So they did. Uh, so I went back to the Olvic, handed in my notice and went over to work in my first sort of production company as assistant general manager. And I was there for five years and eventually becoming the associate producer. Um, so, so that transition was that nerve-wracking was it exciting or a combination of both because obviously the old Vic is a huge establishment people who've never even been to the theatre would have heard of the old Vic and to leave behind such a huge name in theatre to go off and work somewhere else how did you feel about that and were you apprehensive at all no because I was just excited about stuff because I think I honestly think that's down to I think that's, that's down to maybe an experience, but you're always, I am as a personality, always excited about what's next, what's next, what's next, which is why the current situation <laughs> has been a real eye opener for me personally. Very good for my inner growth. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go for it. Um, and it was great. And then when I, you know, five years, four years, um, Adam and I had my review and he said that I was bossy. <laughs> but would never be the boss because it was his company. And I need yeah. to think about how long I was going to be happy being sort of like his second or, or you know, not, not being the boss, which I thought was really decent of him. Um, and I took about you a obviously year. Had a good, you obviously had a good relationship oh, with him to yeah, be able to have those really, discussions. Yeah, definitely. Really. I mean, he, yeah, he was awesome. Awesome as a boss. Uh, hilarious. Um, very good times. And I, um, but very different, very, very different vibe to the old Vic. So I sort of had the experience of working with somewhere which makes beautiful, worthwhile, like worthy, I hate that word, but like beautiful, crafted shows um, at, <laughs> with amazing, like old, like well-known named of the theatre sort of mm-hmm. uh, actors. And then with these beautifully sort of chic parties and things. And, and, he- and- heaped in tradition. And, and yeah, well. and and absolutely a real sort of you know right in your bones theatre stuff. And then Adams Beagle Productions did sort of musicals and tours, and it would be sort of like, let's cast a reality TV star, you know, not far off that. It was sort of like let's see what will get the audience in. It was far more commercially minded. Um, we actually one of my favourite moments. We stormed um, Farage's. Uh, spring conference in Margate with a Nazi tank and some Nazi dancers singing springtime for Hitler to promote the, sh- the tour of uh, the producers as you do and we got on international news I mean it was really sort of like in your face stuff like that um great fun wish I'd done more of that now and then um so it was that that was a it was a brilliant thing to learn sort of more tanks outside. that's the more that's tanks the more tanks bomb the fuckers <laughs> that's the way you get it done um, so basically that's just run him over the tank um yeah so basically that's 
that was that. And then I... Just as a disclaimer, please don't... Uh, oh, please don't, actually. Don't hire a tank or run any politicians over regardless yeah. of their beliefs. Yeah, maybe don't do that. But it gave me a whole new perspective on how to market a show. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, so then I went and I couldn't find another company I wanted to work for, to be honest. Um, I really loved Alice Beagle Productions. And so I moved on uh, to start my own. And that was the start of that. Yeah. And that was 2016. Yeah. And so, again, well, you, you know that I've set up my own businesses and things. Yeah. And that can be nerve wracking. Again, the... Yeah. The beauty of being self-employed is that you reap the rewards and everything that you put into it, you can say, I did this. But at the same time, it's nerve wracking, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely terrifying. There were times I sat there at my kitchen table thinking, what the fuck have I done? Because, I mean, I have no office, no income, no support network. I mean, I think people in, you'll probably know, anyone in the arts, you don't get into it for money. People get into it for love. And therefore, I actually think it's a very supportive industry and people do reach out more and do help you. The number of people go for coffee with you or give you, like, do you a favour. I mean, that that's kind of huge, I think, in theatre. And suddenly you're just on your own <laughs> at your kitchen table going, what the fuck have I done? And I had no investors. I had no play. Um, nothing. I had nothing. Um, yeah. So what were those first steps tough. then? What was the first production? I'd gone to New York. I went to, I went to New York for a few months to sort of clear my head and, uh, you know, see what was there. Uh, I've always loved New York and, uh, and I, and I had some savings from my job. <laughs> uh, a very wise thing to do with it. Go, go, go international. And, um, I lived off those and I met this brilliant writer called Dave Hansen. He'd written a play called Waiting for Waiting for Godot, which was, um, a three-hander and it was the understudies waiting to go on to perform in Waiting for Godot. It was very funny, um, sort of slapstick farcical comedy. And I put that, that was my first show when I came back to London. I put it on at what was then the St. James and is now the other palace. Um, and that was brilliant. But I, I, I will be completely honest, like anyone who's thinking of a of a career in the arts, you just don't, just make sure you don't like money uh, or anything like that. Because <laughs> there are like times when you're Fake friends, money, prop money is fine, isn't yeah, it? Can get, get, someone can make that easily. Oh, great. But um, <laughs> it's, it's not an industry for um, anyone who's like, because I think it's great fun when you're in your 20s. And then I've, I do find a lot of people in their 30s, particularly actors, sort of look at other stuff they can do because you suddenly you've got all your contemporaries from university buying houses and going on luxury holidays and stuff and you you just can't because it's not one for the income and I was living off my savings when I started my own company for months and I I was double using tea bags I had no heating on you could see I was wrapped in blankets I could see my breath I was double using tea bags I was and then that was when that was around the time that I met my now husband and I didn't want to tell him that I was totally, completely and utterly skinned. And I had like a budget for, for food and, and stuff for life um, a week that I was adhering to. And um, I had a meltdown on him because I, we were being very fair on our dates. So, you know, splitting the bill. Um, and, and he was picking, I think I picked somewhere like, oh, we'll go to this pub and we'll go for a walk. And then he was picking sort of Michelin starred places. And... I guess it would mean that I wasn't eating for the rest of the yeah. week. I would sort of go, yeah, it's fine. I can do this. Split the bill. I'm a modern woman. I can do this. Yeah, it's cool. Um, <laughs> which I am. But um, I was, it was terrible. And then eventually we had this huge row because I had got us, again, through my contacts, I had got us theatre tickets. Again, if you're in theatre, a lot of people will do you favours like that. You can do a lot of dates on house wine and, and theatre tickets without anyone knowing that you have no money. Um, so I had got his tickets to some show. I can't actually remember which show it was. And he suggested, let's go for dinner before. And I was like, he's like, I'll get us dinner before as you got the tickets. I was like, great. So I went to Balance in Soho and he just didn't show up. And he was messaging me going, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, been held up at work, order us martinis. So I ordered, I ordered a vodka martini and a gin martini, which is that drink. And then I was like, well, you're nearly here because if we need to order in the next 10 minutes, it's going to be done for the show. And he's like, yeah, yeah, nearly there, nearly there. I ordered all this food. He didn't arrive. 
And I was sitting there going, oh my, oh, he's got to pay for this. He's got to pay for it. I don't have the money to pay for it. I don't have the money to pay for it. Oh my gosh, my gosh. Anyway, and I had, to, and I was so embarrassed. I said to the woman, um, can you just doggy bag this up? Because I was doggy bagging everything because I had no food at home. So I was like, can you just doggy bag? I'm just going to take this to go. Um, Not the martinis as well. You put <laughs> no, the martinis were, in a little coffee they cup. Were, they were gone. His was gone. You know, once you, what, you, he left me waiting for nearly an hour. He just got no martini. Um, so then um, I had to pay for it and I was, sort of frozen with that's it that's it for the week I've got nothing and um then you're in your 30s that's not great (laughs) but it was it was like I had I had made the strategy this decision of what I would be able to do till I got this first show up and running and then um afterwards he had said yeah he's like oh should we go actually I had a friend DJing at this art gallery in Soho so I was like do you want to go for more drinks at this art gallery and then he said something like do you want to get the first one oh no he said like can you get our cab home whatever it was I few martinis down went off on one and had to explain to him that I'd started my own company I had no money I basically had been eating for weeks in between our dates and it was I'd had enough um to which you know he was very understanding and, and nice but there was yeah I mean that's a great start to any relationship just trying to fake that you actually have some cash <laughs> um and that's working in theatre I was going to say, it sounds like your all your career has all, all been about sort of faking it or having yeah. maybe being overly confident and saying, yes, I can do this. Of course I can do this. I haven't got yeah. to do what it is, but I can definitely do it. But when it comes to relationships, maybe communicating early on so that you don't end up sleeping in a cardboard box would be <laughs> beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I should have just communicated that earlier. Um, definitely, definitely. But hey, it was great. We had a massive row and that really brings people together. Um, I find. Anyway, so basically that was a tough few months of nearly a year of living off savings and working at my kitchen table to try and get this show going, um, which it did. And it made a profit, not a huge profit, but I think all our investors got to buy themselves a bottle of wine. um, And that was sort of the company launched. And it was like, well, there's no going back now. I've spent months putting my time and effort and blood and heart into this. So let's go. That was your first production, so it's the first time you'd actually had something to show for your decision to to go it alone. Yes, and you've had several very successful shows since then of all sorts of. I want to say Madagascar on ice, but that's <laughs> Madagascar on ice. That'll <laughs> be the next that's, one. That's That'll be the next my confidence. one. But I, I know I, when I try and keep up to date with what you are are doing, you yeah. Some of the productions that you have been working on are like huge international things aren't they now yeah i mean madagascar the musical that is that that's fairly big um no ice. i mean anyone no, no ice, ice. Yet, no. there's no, no ice, ice yet but we'll see we'll see it's a great <laughs> brainstorming session you see the creatives get together get the juices flowing um but yeah so that was Mad- now unfortunately obviously quite a lot of our international tours have had to cancel currently um which is a bit of a so blow. what would you be doing at the moment what would you be working on uh well yeah, this is not, this is not, this has been a bit of a blow. Um, so basically, we had, LBP had um, Madagascar the Musical on tour. That was uh, going to South Africa, Asia, America. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're renegotiating that to happen in 21, 22, whenever theatre can happen. But obviously that, that, that was going to go. And then I had um, a show opening uh, in the West End over Christmas, uh, which was going to be a bit of a comeback from maternity leave. For me um not that I really had a leave leave but you do have to take a few steps back when you have a kid and um and this was going to be my I'd actually employed a general manager so I didn't have to do that anymore and I was going to get a weekly uh producing and general managing fee and there was and we were going to open in the West End just before Christmas I was going to be above title producer it was going to be really good um really good uh so there's that that was going to open and then also a musical that I've been working on for four years yeah, four years, um, had finally uh, got sort of the, the green light to open at the Royal Dungate um, with any luck in, well, <laughs> no luck now, uh, in 2021 uh, and do regional tour. Uh, so both of those have obviously been indefinitely postponed, um, which, you know, you suddenly make you go, oh, God. So a lot of my colleagues have had, are now facing this idea that you have all these goals and then what would, what, what do you do if all of your future, your planned future is either ripped away or put on hold indefinitely? Um, and I think that as a society, we're very forward focused. 
I certainly am. I always have been. And I think that that's always been seen as a good thing. You know, you're a go-getter, uh, you're ambitious, you're driven. There's always the what next, what next, what next. And it, that's both in career. And that's also where are we going to go on holiday? Where are we next traveling to? You know, where should we, should we try that new restaurants just open? Like, so you're always, I'm always, not everyone, I'm sure not everyone's like this, but as a society, we are very future driven and that's seen as an, an yeah. alpha and successful thing to be. And suddenly that's gone, you know, because the future is uncertain. So I mean, different for different industries, but certainly with theatre. And um, where, what do you what do you make of the world if maybe you're not going to do that anymore, or at least not for a while? Um, and that's been that's been interesting. Um, it, I'm pretty. It is sure. a weird. It's a weird situation because I know theatre. I love going to the theatre, but I know it does struggle. It a lot of people see it yeah. compared to netflix or amazon prime where you pay seven quid a month and you can just sit in your own home and watch something so why will i go to the theater and pay 35 40 quid for a ticket but it's not the same it's not the same live being it being done in front of your face so that i think there are more and more excuses for people not to go to the theater anyway before this whole lockdown happened i am slightly concerned that as i as i'm sure you are how when the restrictions do start to ease people's confidence and faith going back into the theatre will it be affected and I'm just wondering how you think the theatre industry as a whole may may be affected whether it could be a positive thing people thinking I need live action let's go and do it we've been sitting indoors for three months let's go and do something let's go and embrace it or do you think it it may have some I don't want to say catastrophic effects, but do you think the face of theatre will change? I mean, it's fairly catastrophic right now. So, I mean, you can use that word, absolutely. The um, I think that... Okay, well, I, I, I think it's important to... I do think it's important to be realistic, but also to focus on the positives. So what you were just saying about Netflix and people being able to watch things from the comfort of their own home, I believe that this time in lockdown has uh, really brought theatre to an audi- a new audience. People that wouldn't okay. normally or naturally go to see theatre are now going, God, I'm bored of watching the same stuff night after night after night. Why don't we watch you know, the, the new thing by the National Theatre that they've put on? I mean, there's so many incredible shows that you can live stream. I mean, I've probably been watching about at least two a week. So it's actually increased my theatre watching um, than what it was uh, when I when I had the kid. I mean, no, I, I think the year that I had a baby, I only saw the whole year 13, 14 shows, which is pretty low for me. So now yeah, it's plenty actually... Plenty of drama in the household, no exactly, doubt. Exactly, exactly. Um, so for me, I think that's been wonderfully accessible in lockdown and I hope that other people have as well. And I think it is going to get people more interested in the shows they can see. Um, but there is a lot of pressure on producers and the industry to come up with new ways that we can create theatre, uh, that we can can entertain and reach people. And creatives are like weeds. I mean, you cannot you cannot stop us. Um, right, okay. Like, like, <laughs> I'm, you glad, I'm glad you qualified that everywhere. They're <laughs> disgusting to They're look at. Awful. Get rid of them. Back with the bombs. No, so basically, yeah, the, you um, we, we, you cannot stop. I mean, look at all the, the readings that are going on at Zoom. Look at the amazing um, orchestras and choirs we've seen going on, I mean, internationally. Yeah. I mean, the, there is no way it will just die. It's survived too much. And it's survived centuries. And... In recessions, I mean, actually, because people say I'm going to hit massive recession. Um, actually, theatre does pretty okay in recessions. It's something that people still want to go and see and want to be part they of. They need that break. They need that respite. Um, yeah. Get away from the what is often a grim reality, and they mm. want to be entertained by people. Yeah, and I think stage. I think that there, there is nothing like theatre, and I think people, and I know plenty of people. Uh, I know personally plenty of people who've had to come and see my shows because they're supportive friends haha, um, and have said things like, oh, I didn't know theatre was that interesting or I didn't know it was good or I really enjoyed that actually. Um, and so, I, I mean, people who I don't think have thought for some reason it's not for them are now getting a, an opportunity to see things that, you know, actually are for them. And because and, theatre is for everyone. It's just you just If you don't like theatre, you just haven't found the right particular genre or show for you, I believe. I, I think it... Theatre often gets a, a bad rap and can be seen as stuff in elitist because when you think of theatre, it's often the more classical theatre with esoteric language and themes which don't really affect 
you know your day-to-day person but actually as you said this it's so now this is just giving a, a stereotype mm. this is me playing probably the, the extra player but yeah. in me or, or the same thing <laughs> who yeah, likes them the, oh. yeah what idiots yeah who, who'd ever Jocks. do that but um, um, um but you know i i and i and it, i i mean but then look I at it get, get to, yeah sorry that's why there's it, been it, a massive I, <laughs> I'm saying it does get a, it does get, have um, I think an unfair reputation sometimes, which has been broken mm. down completely in the last well, even the last five ten years. I think yeah. with the, some of the productions that you are seeing in the in the West End, we're both fortunate to be living in within Greater London and have mm. access to that. But I do think modern theatre or even classical productions done with a, a modern twist are so accessible to anybody and everybody there's a there's a huge enjoyment to be found in all in all different forms and I think you're right so I mean everyone says it I know but the incredible success of Hamilton um as a musical that's done wonders I think for the genre and people seeing that it's not sort of I don't know just something a bit more operatic that it's got this sort of um that it has finger on the pulse, it's modern and it's interesting and there's a way to project that. But also I think things like Punch Drunk and the rise of immersive theatre where it's more experience-led and you can be part of it. I mean, that is something which blows people's minds because it's also theatre, but you're going into a room and you're following sort of a masked individual. You're wearing a mask, you're going into a cupboard and through a door and all of that sort of stuff. Um, Sleep No More in New York, I've seen it maybe seven times and each time's different. I mean, it's mental. And then you keep finding new rooms or crawling through places. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, so all of that is, is huge. And then you've got, um, you've got the rise of virtual reality in theatre, such as War of the Worlds that was on at the moment in London, where you put on a headset and you're going through the story. Oh. And, yeah, and you sort of have to climb through things and things are coming in, like holograms and stuff like that. I mean, it's, um, there, is a, there is a huge breadth that is covered by theatre. It's not just uh, Shakespeare. Not that I hate Shakespeare, but I've seen quite a lot of Shakespeare. Um, and, uh, you know, th- sometimes you want to move on and, and see new things. And I think also people massively, what I found is people, when they think of theatre, think of West End. You're very lucky to have it. Lots of brilliant things on it. But you, it's a big theatre. You're back here. You're watching that on a proscenium arch stage. Whereas, in fact, if you go to some of the fringe theatres where it's a 50-seater or outdoor theatre or immersive theatre and it's right up in your face, get right up in your grill. And that, that is where lots of people who think they don't like theatre realise that actually they do. Where the fourth wall is so, so flimsy. Yeah. It's almost made out of rice paper. It's like a, a Japanese exactly. fourth wall, isn't it? Yes, you just poke right yeah. through that. Yeah, don't poke the actors. Don't that. poke the actors, though. Please. Um, please. Yeah, That's please another thing. Don't. We're learning so much. Do... <laughs> there should be signs going. Please turn off your mobile phones. Do not poke don't the actors. Don't poke the actors. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's, yeah, it really is. Um, there's so much out there. And, and I think it will come back. And the Arts Council have just uh, released a £160 million emergency fund for the arts, um, 90% of which is funded by the National Lottery. <laughs> so thank you, all you people who want to become millionaires. Thanks for playing, because you're keeping the arts going. And, I mean, that's not only employing so many people, that's also you know, bringing I think it's billions to the economy. But I can't remember what it was, $2.8 billion last year or something. But, you know, it's it's so it's funding something that does grow and give back and it's not just about money it's about people's jobs and livelihoods and things like that so I think with that grant LBP has been I've been fortunate to receive two (laughs) hey so um yeah one for me as an individual producer and one uh for the projects I was working on before and with that I am employing two composers at the moment over zoom zoom composition to write the music for a show that was going to be the show that was going to be opening at Christmas um so we're getting musicians we can get musicians over zoom and they're working over zoom and then we'll do a reading to check the music works with the script so there's still stuff that can be done in in lockdown don't get disheartened people we can do this there's there's lots of stuff bubbling away in the background yeah, definitely. and there is reason to be optimistic for a brighter no, but, future but i think it's i think it's being realistic it's not going to be the same it's going to take a long time to recover people are going to have to look at other jobs they can do and be realistic i mean I think art, the arts is a, is a career for people who are maybe uh, slightly dreamers and they want to make things happen and, they, they, and, and it's a beautiful world. But actually, we have to be realistic and there will be tough decisions ahead for many, many people in the industry um, of what can actually happen and what they can do in the meantime. I'd like to steer the conversation back more towards you. You have actually been harnessing some of your passions and some of your talents and potentially turning those into 
alternative future careers. So yeah, yeah, just tell me a little bit about those. I mean, passion's probably the right word, isn't it? So um, I thought that I would enrol in um, a wine diploma, which is a real thing for those questioning that. This is a wine diploma, uh, WSET. because you know, it may as well make my uh, my daily drinking productive uh, in this state of lo- <laughs> state of lockdown. You open the wine, you're like, no, no, it's homework. Um, so yeah, so I'm studying wine I'm, at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm studying. <laughs> Leave me to my revision. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, very little spitting in this household. Um, but yeah, so basically, I am learning all about wines and grapes at the moment. There is a bit more than I thought there would be. I'll be honest. Um, the more I learn about wine, the more I realise I don't know about wine, and there's so much to learn. But it has been practically very, very useful—not just fun, but useful. Um, just I can't believe I've been drinking wine for 20 years and never really understood before how to read a wine label. I mean, really basic terms on a wine label. <laughs> Every which... time I read it, my, my lap gets really, really wet. Oh, it's that way round. Oh, silly me. Right. Yeah. I mean, every time I read it, it's really blurry. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so basically I, I, yeah, I'm learning how to read a wine label and actually how to be able to, for the same price to buy a much better bottle of wine. Um, little little things like that, which are really helpful. Um, so yeah, so I'm well, looking... You may, you may need to tell me about that. I will. Any, I'll give you some top if tips. If anyone wants some top tips, yes, please top do. Top tips get on the drinking. Directly. Uh, but you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed uh alcohol and um but it's, it's it's the way to sort of appreciate it a bit more i was a, I was a nightmare toddler <laughs> i mean i can't remember when i first tried wine but definitely before the legal limit but the yeah so basically i'm, I'm learning all about that and doing lots of uh, online tasting which obviously are huge right now everyone i think is doing them um and hopefully we'll get my diploma uh, this year and then can look at sort of things in wine consultancy, brand management, um, sales, relationships with vineyards and producers and things like that. So, But that was something that I I was interested in learning about anyway for my own personal enjoyment and then realised that you can get a career out of it. Um, and I've got a sort of wine mentor, Giles James, who I befriended via the Groucho, again, helps all walks of life. Um, and he's sort of helping me with my tastings and knowledge and, and things like that. So that's really fantastic it means there's a lot more wine being delivered to this house I think our neighbors may be getting a say. little judgy <laughs> um, and then you've got to if you were doing this on not online you'd have classes where you get to taste the wines you would do blind tastings and learn your palate I mean now it's really just me and if I can I can rope my husband Matt into um drinking with me but actually he he prefers a glass of milk so he's he's not a massive drinker. Um, so I'm just getting him hammered on a regular basis. You you call him Matt, but everyone else knows him as Mister T. Mister T. Milk. Milk. <laughs> Mr. Milk. Yeah, no, actually, that's, milk. that's actually not not far off. Um, and all those medallions. Um, also, if you're doing this um, online, it yeah. must be very difficult to have a single glass of wine sent to you for tasting. You have to have the whole bottle. Yeah, you have to. And with your background as a starving artist. Presumably, you would never pour yourself a, a single glass of wine. And say, right, I don't need the rest. I'll I'll bin that. Yeah, well, I have invested. I'm invested in a vacuum pump from Amazon, which is not is like a tenner, if that. And basically, <laughs> we, we, we've all been lonely during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Got to practice the action, and so basically, I've been pumping my wines to <laughs> maintain their freshness. Right to maintain, not not to increase the flow. I cannot get. I'm so behind with this wine tasting course. I need to increase the flow quick. Yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt, get pumping. <laughs> Anywho, um, yes. so yeah, so basically, there's that. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Maybe shall yes. we? Uh, that yes, that does on. sound very exciting. I do think maybe I, at some point uh, when the restrictions are lifted, I could potentially help you out with some of that. Uh, Thank you. Um, we have many wines. Your revision. Yes. Do, uh, do as, it as, for as, me. I, I have many wines behind the plant as well. So <laughs> when uh, when we're off air, maybe I'll move the plant and we can discuss them. But, Perfect. Um, I'd also like to talk about your confidence coaching, which yeah, I think it's fairly obvious that confidence has got you a long way in everything you've done and I think it's a fantastic idea that you're now using that and and helping other people with it so well I mean tell me a little bit about or potentially potentially helping other people so I do quite a lot of mentoring um anyway on the side so I mentor writers uh producers um and people women um women 
And uh, yeah, so I do sort of that on the side anyway. And then I, both with LBP and personally, and then I thought, well, as I'm probably not going into a theatre anytime soon, I've applied to get my actual uh, certification as a as a coach. Um, so I'm going to start that in September and it and get the coach the actual the actual thing that means I can do it properly. Or I mean, you can actually actually I found out you can call yourself a coach without any training at all. Um, you could just call yourself that. It's a bit like a I therapist, do that. I think. Thank you. Um, I think it's the same with therapists. Maybe not. Maybe or counselors. Anyway. It's, it's quite worrying, but um, the coach thing, you don't actually need proof. But I do kind of want to train. So I'm playing, I'm going to do it at Goldsmiths and they do it from a okay. psychological perspective. So rather than sort of saying this is a this is how you're confident, which is obviously things like, you know, your, how you stand and how you breathe. And there's all that that can help you present when you're being confident. But the but they also tell you the how to read an individual and therefore how to sort of tailor your confidence coaching a bit more, uh, which I think is fascinating. Um and I do think the confidence is key, or at least, you know, fake it till you make it. I think an ex once described me as the most underconfident, overconfident person they've ever met. And I think that probably rings true. We all have uh, things we're deeply, suddenly insecure about um, that can go, oh, my gosh, did I do that wrong. What's this? You know, and um, everyone, everyone suffers from that um, at, at times. It can be over anything, really. Um, but I think that giving yourself a proper grounding in your own abilities um your own knowledge of yourself and therefore the confidence to come out of that and do whatever it is you want to focus on that's a very important tool and i think right now um a lot of people are questioning life choices um who they are who's important to them in their world actually um stuff you feel you should do rather than stuff you want to do uh, actually i mean i've quite enjoyed large sections of this lockdown <laughs> It's rather rather lovely not to have to do so much uh, outside stuff, um, but it's I think it's 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 an important time to sort of to regroup, refocus, and uh, and think about what makes you tick. So I would be very I would be very happy to sort of help people with that more, both professionally and personally. Oh, fantastic, um, Libby. We are at the end of the podcast. Sorry, it's been an absolute on. no. It's been an absolute delight speaking to you. I hadn't realised what the time was and. Yeah, it's been very, very fun, but very insightful as well. And I think there are lots of nice little nuggets of wisdom dotted throughout. The, the big <laughs> one for me is just say yes. Just yeah. say yes to everything uh, professionally and work out the details later because yeah. you, you have to have some self-confidence. With the caveat of like, not if you're like a brain surgeon or something like that. You know, it's very much in the arts world. Um, and don't poke the actors. And don't. <laughs> poke the actors Libby it's been a joy I'm sure that whatever the future holds for you you will succeed in it and you'll do it with a huge smile on your face I hope to catch you in person very soon thank you for booty calling me this is a lockdown booty call